The views expressed in our podcast do not represent the views of all sorority organizations. You might even hear different viewpoints among MJ sorority team members featured. Real Talk intends to foster open dialogue about issues we see across the country that affect real women. And beyond these thoughts and recommendations, we would ultimately refer you back to local, state, and federal authorities, as well as your own sorority's rules and policies. While we intend to keep content light and informative, there may be insurance claims discussed that involve bodily injury and personal damage of a sensitive nature. Be aware that topics may be a bit graphic and even emotionally charged. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Real Talk with MJ Sorority, the voice of sorority risk management, where we talk about the big risks, small questions, and real challenges sorority women face today. MJ Sorority is the premier insurance agency for women's sororities. We are passionate about educating and empowering our clients. We believe that striving to be unique never stops, and that by promoting safe decisions and smart risks, we can continue to create spaces for women to grow, serve, and lead. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode where we get into what we can't stop talking about, besides sorority risk management, of course. For now, let's dive into our conversation and let's get real. Well, hello. We are back today to talk about commercial auto, aka all things sorority auto basics. And you may be thinking, what do cars? And automobile coverage have anything to do with sororities? Um, And that's a great question. And we'll talk about it today. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Sarah, as usual. And we're here to kind of just walk you through some of the frequently asked questions we get on this topic. And promise to hold each other accountable if we get into two insurance speak language to make sure that this is all clear. And auto coverage is something that can be kind of, I think, twisty and confusing when you first learn insurance, because it is not always intuitive the way you think it's going to work, right? Definitely. We were saying that it's technically called non-owned and hired automobile insurance coverage. Yes, that's and- what our clients have as as sorority clients and on it with a commercial insurance policy, essentially. Yes. And so what that means, and I think I even, even in insurance sometimes get confused about this, but the way that insurance policies work is that if there is any kind of auto involved, then that claim would have to fall under an automobile insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And so if the sorority, even though they don't perhaps own vehicles, or maybe they only, you know, headquarters owns a vehicle or something like that. They still have, if you think about it, probably thousands of people driving to and from sorority events each day or definitely each week. And so if if there is an accident involving an, an automobile, obviously, then they would need this kind of coverage. And so that's that yes. fancy named of non-owned automobile coverage. And then the hired portion of the coverage is that just is a different name for rental vehicles, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's any business that is doing auto transportation as part of their business on a regular basis and not just a one-off thing. That's where you're going to need commercial auto coverage because it's different than personal. If there were to be an accident and they figure out you're doing something on behalf of a business, on behalf of your sorority, in this case, that's where this coverage would have to kick in. Um, and that's a great just kind of overview. But yeah, auto automobile liability Auto liability coverage is technically kind of the category name of it. 
uh, and the non-owned and hired, we're going to kind of talk through when those come into play, what those risks look like. So the non-owned, as Sarah touched on, figuring out what is the exposure here. Um, when we say exposure, we mean what what kinds of risks are you opening yourself up to in the world just by existing and operating as a sorority member, as someone with cars out there that you may use on occasion on behalf of the sorority. (laughs) So the non-owned means anything, yeah, not owned by the sorority. Your personal cars, if you're driving on sorority business, that could be an auto liability risk for your sorority should something happen. If uh, you, a hired auto is anything rented event for some sort of travel on behalf of your organization. We know that travel has slowed down a lot uh, in light of just travel restrictions and pandemic times and things like that. But we know that there's still some of this going on on an as needed basis, even if your sorority has kind of limited travel this year from a business standpoint. So do you want to talk us through, Sarah, just kind of the top things to remember when it comes to how this actually logistically works? Yes. So I think as Allison's explained, that exposure piece is really important to think about before kind of as the basis of the conversation, because as Allison said, that's what kind of risks or the amount of risks you're opening yourself up to. And if you think about from an auto standpoint, it's really that amount of risks that are concerning here because of how much we have members and volunteers driving to and from sorority events that. Mm-hmm could expose the sorority to an automobile claim is basically yeah. um, what that means, could open the, the sorority up to a, an automobile claim. And, and so this is little me- things you may not think of, right? Like it, it may not be, I'm driving to this social event now on behalf of the sorority. It may be if you're running an errand to pick up supplies for an event coming up in a week. Uh, it, it could be a loose connection. The stronger the connection, the more liability there could be, Right. Yes, when, when people have kind of said, well, we don't really need this coverage. We're not renting cars right now. We like to remind them that the, the exposure, as Sarah was underscoring, is, is national across the country whenever someone is driving on behalf of one of our insured sorority clients. And so that's why this matters. That's why it's a huge just kind of mammoth risk out there. The claims that we see from this, too, I would quickly say are severe, more than frequent. We don't have that frequent of claims that end up hitting this policy. But when they do hit, most of them are more severity driven when it comes to the non-owned part. The the hired part and little rental car fender benders, we do see a little more frequently in small, small doses. But um, sorry to interject again in there. But yeah, if you I'll think about in. it, no, I think that's a really good point. That severity piece, meaning like how severe the claim is, meaning mm-hmm. how much it costs. To, to pay it out or to settle mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And what happens in these, you know, where there is maybe severe or often severe bodily injury, which then, not to sound callous, but would drive up the cost of the claim, there's typically attorneys, plaintiff attorneys involved. And they, one of the first questions a plaintiff attorney is going to ask is, you know, where were you going? Where were you coming from? To see if there's anyone else that they could bring into the lawsuit besides you. And so if they find out that you are coming from a sorority event or going to a sorority event or like Allison said, you know, on a sorority errand or something like that in their mind, that's going to be like, we call that deep pockets theory, thinking that the sorority has deep pockets to go after, which 
um, is probably not true, but that's just where those kind of plaintiff attorneys' heads often go. And obviously, if there is severe bodily injury, then those persons injured need that covered and things along those lines. So just kind of thinking through how the sorority is open to this many risks across, as Allison said, across the country really every day. So we kind of narrowed it down to the top three things to remember if you don't remember anything else from this conversation that we often talk about when it comes to the sorority's automobile insurance. The first is that individuals who use their own vehicles to drive to or from a sorority event of any kind must look to their own automobile insurance for protection should they be involved in an automobile accident. So that's basically the the sorority's auto insurance is to cover the sorority if they are brought into a lawsuit that involves an automobile accident of any variety. It, it will not cover the individual that was driving the vehicle. That individual likely, if there is a lawsuit, would be named in the lawsuit as well. Uh, and their insurance would need to respond first before the sorority would be involved. Right. So just because you're new officer in your sorority and you're driving a lot on behalf of the sorority doesn't mean you don't need personal coverage for your auto. You've got to look to the personal coverage for your auto if something happens first. Right. So then that leads to the second top thing to remember is that we recommend that members and volunteers carry minimum limits on your insurance policy. So typically personal auto insurance policies and Allison's planning a podcast episode just on personal auto uh, with some friends of ours in the MJ insurance, what we call the personal lines department. They provide that type of coverage. So just to kind of go through some frequently asked questions and explain a little bit more about personal automobile coverage, but just to give a little basics, we recommend a minimum level of 250000 500,000 combined single limit, and then 100,000 property damage. That's typically how it's written, or they might just put them in one combined single limit, and we recommend half a million dollars for your combined single limit, which Mm -hmm. in a lot of insurance policies is the minimum you can purchase anyway. It's kind of like that. baseline minimum. Mm-hmm. Many of you, many of our members are obviously on their parents' homeowners policies. They probably have these minimum limits or more, I would imagine. And um, so they just want to double check with their parents, make sure that this. there's also extensions for cars at college and things like that. So that might be something worth for members and volunteers that are listening, just checking with your automobile insurance agent or your parents' insurance agent to double check on that. And then thirdly, lastly, that most important thing to remember is whenever you rent an automobile on behalf of the sorority, there is no need to purchase any additional insurance coverage. Uh, The sorority program is providing that. So including physical damage or liability coverage through the rental car company for, you know, any of your members or employees or volunteers that are renting cars on behalf of your organization. So we just wanted to kind of, that's we drilled down a little bit more at the beginning to kind of explain the why behind the coverage. But mm-hmm. if you only get, remember three things, those top three things that you need to be looking to your personal insurance, those recommended limits. And then if you rent a car, you don't need to purchase any additional coverage uh, as long as you're renting on behalf of the sorority. So with that kind of overview, let's turn to some frequently asked questions. So the first one is, if I drive my personal auto on behalf of the sorority and on sorority business, will I be covered by the sorority policy? And I feel like we've talked around 
and at this a little bit, but just to reiterate, if you drive your own car uh, on sorority related business and you're in an accident, you need to look to your own coverage first. That was the first point Sarah just said. And that's for any injuries you may sustain or damage to, again, yourself, your own car, or the third-party auto. Um, So that's collision and comprehensive. Again, we'll kind of get into some of that in more of the personal auto episode. But you got to look to your own first. The organization's policy is in place to protect the organization. So it's the whole reason that your sorority has insurance coverage is so that if a really bad accident happens, that they don't go out of business trying to pay a claim. Um, on one accident. That's that's kind of why this coverage is there, to make it a more sustainable over time um, so that one big lawsuit doesn't tank everybody at once. So that's why this coverage exists. It's not for little fender benders. It's for if something severe happens and beyond your personal limits, those that Sarah recommended a moment ago, you that there needs to be more coverage to cover whatever lawsuit and damages are being filed through court. Uh, that is where this would come in. And so keep in mind, as she said, these, some of the most severe claims we've seen in the history of the sorority insurance program have been under this automobile policy. And so that's where, again, just to reiterate how we were talking about that exposure piece at the beginning, if this coverage wasn't in place, this could really um, bankrupt or severely financially harm your sorority. And so that's, that's where it exists. If, if it did provide coverage for the individuals, it would be cost pro. I mean, it would be, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, because if you think of how much activity there is, and there would be no real way to price that anyway. And it's important Mm -hmm. to remember, which Allison will get into on that personal auto conversation, but that when it comes to automobile liability, it always follows the vehicle. So anytime you are driving a vehicle that that insurance covering that auto is is what's in place first and foremost. And then the sorority kind of sits behind that almost if the sorority is drawn into the lawsuit. If the sorority is never, if you have a, if you're driving on behalf, you know, to a sorority event and the sorority is never named in the lawsuit, then this coverage wouldn't even come into play. You would, that individuals or whatever, however that, that, that specific automobile was covered would come into play by itself. And to just give you an idea of what some of those severe claims have been, because this will kind of lead us into the next section. If you're not familiar with sororities, you may think, oh, it might just be surely some of the bad claims have had to do with drunk driving. They actually haven't. They've truly been accidents, just really bad accidents with really bad outcomes. One had to do with a group of members driving to a state day. uh, So, which is an event where people come from all over the state from the same sorority just to kind of have a gathering together and just because of the volume and way that that was organized rather than doing a bus or something, it was people voluntarily driving on their own and someone crossed over a line um, and hit a family, unfortunately. Um, and there were casualties. Another one had to do with a volunteer driving to the airport for a convention for her national organization's convention. And again, tragically, collided with another vehicle that killed that driver. And so it's it's really hard, hard situations and things that happen that are true accidents for the most part. And it's when those severe outcomes happen that we want to make sure are covered. Um, the other one that I think kind of leads me into this next point is 
Uh, We've seen it happen when there's some sort of designated driver program going on where rather than just for a single event, you've got like an ongoing thing where members drive on behalf of one another and it's organized by the sorority in a more global sense. And again, there was not drunk driving involved that we know of for this claim, um, but truly just a mishap with a traffic, a flashing traffic light late at night and thinking somebody was coming or going that wasn't and getting in an accident that hurt somebody. And I don't even think there was a death in that one, but just a severe uh, injury. And so because of that, we strongly discourage the use of members vehicles for transportation of members and guests from fraternity and sorority functions as much as you can help it, including recruitment and social activities. Um, So we really encourage using professional services as much as you can for transportation to and from events. Um, And we would, the whole point of doing so is to transfer some of that auto liability, to transfer some of that risk um, and to minimize, mitigate, reduce your own risk as a sorority and as a sorority member going to that event. And so in order to make that happen, criteria like the transportation company needing proof of their own commercial auto coverage and a minimum of a million combined single limit for bodily injury and property damage is recommended. Again, if they're a professional bus company or transportation company, they should have those professional limits to cover themselves for those kind of incidents. Um, and again, they should have professional drivers who have valid commercial vehicle operators licenses in the state in which the company is located. Because the reality is if you're driving large groups of people there's a different standard of of safety that you are supposed to be able to adhere to rather than someone ad hoc doing it on behalf of their other members. And so all that is to say, that's the ideal situation so that we avoid as much liability as we can for your sortie should a tragic incident occur from a claims cost standpoint. And all these things are just good risk measures to avoid accidents in the first place. If you've got trained people, if you're thinking through and planning this stuff ahead of time, we first and foremost don't want anybody get it, to get hurt. That's that's yeah. kind of where we're coming from on all this. I feel like we've covered a lot of little things, but I think, Sarah, you've got one more kind of FAQ for us related to this. Yeah, and I would say, too, we, in regards to designated driver and sober assist programs, we have a podcast episode about digging into those a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. We do support designated driver programs when they're held in conjunction with an officially sponsored sorority event because mm-hmm. – That means that a lot of other risk management is going on, of course. And that claim that Allison referenced was kind of a random Thursday night, more like, you know, some of the older members were at the bars kind of thing. We don't support those types of kind of random sober cis programs, for lack of a better word. And so I will put that episode in the show notes, too, Great. uh, if you want to dig into that. A little bit more deeply, but I um, thought it sounded familiar as I was talking about it. I was like, "Yeah, cover this." Thanks, well, Sarah. it's like the COVID year was really a dog year, so it was really like eight years ago that we talked about that. <laughs> so, so another question we get fairly often is, "What is our risk management position on fifteen passenger vans?" And there are just a ton of risks associated with those fifteen passenger vans rolling, just not having like. To, to Allison's point, those professional drivers that maybe don't, that is a bigger vehicle and not having people properly trained. Just bad uh, track record. Yeah, I know what I've written and then most people don't have their seatbelts on. Just not, not great. Right. So um, we do discourage the use of 15 passenger vans for any activities, but obviously as always with any of this that we've been talking about today, check with your national organization's position. 
this probably varies regionally too. You know, some places have much more transportation options available than others. So um, that's something that we can work with you on, but it's, it's not our, it's not our favorite. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. And then a little kind of tangential question. That's the biggest word I've used all week is what do we recommend when it comes to Uber, Lyft, other transportation services, Allison? Yeah. So again, first and foremost, check with your national organization. We don't have an official position on this as a department uh, for Uber and Lyft specifically. I know they've been in the news for various things in terms of just all sorts of business-wide issues in the past few years. And so um, we know there's a lot that comes with that. Um, But in, in the aspect of using one of these for a sorority uh, sponsored or sorority official, some sort of event, um, whether it's a taxi, an Uber, or a Lyft. Uh, if you are organizing it in some sort of formal way on behalf of the chapter, like if there is a Alpha Beta Chi sorority account that you're using to pay for those rides, um, you're probably taking on more responsibility and liability than if you let individual members handle that themselves on their own basis. And that all that is to say, you know, you then take on a little bit of responsibility and just kind of the onus of did people really get home safe? Did they really get dropped off where they were supposed to be? Um, and all those kinds of safety issues that are so important to make sure our members stay, stay, stay safe. And it's just important to remember whether it's whatever company it is that you might be using on just a small personal car basis that you're hiring to go to and from an event, maybe you're in a more urban area that it you have limited bus options. And so we know that happens. And that's often when this could be used. Uh, again, check with your organization, they should have guidelines on when this is appropriate. But that regardless, if something happens on the way to or from an event transportation wise, your sortie could be pulled into the claim, whether it's a bus, whether it's an Uber, or even whether it's members just walking by foot or being pedestrians going to and from an event with one another uh, if it's super close, which there should be guidelines from your organization um, and some terminology around that about how to do that safely, how to do that inclusively and in a way that, that makes sense only in certain situations. So all that is to say, it's a long way of saying if you're going to and from an event, your organization could be pulled in from a liability standpoint. The more professional you can have the driver be of somebody you hire, the better, if that is within budget and that that makes sense logistically and follows your organization's rules. So summing it up is that I like how you said, basically, anytime you're traveling to or from an event, whether it's walking, driving, you know, flying, whatever, you're opening up your organization to risk. And so that's where risk management techniques come in, like hiring professionals, as Allison said. If you, you know, if you do have one of these official designated driver programs, you have rules for the drivers and other risk management techniques in place. And so that's where we just try to buffer ourselves from the risk a little bit more, which also just creates safer events, ultimately. You know, like that's the bottom line is we want our members and guests and volunteers for that matter to be as safe and well cared for as possible. And so that's really the bottom line that kind of undergirds all of these conversations that we're having, but especially this one. Yeah. And just thinking about your members' needs and every situation might be a little different and thinking through all sorts of factors, like how many of your members will be attending? Are they coming from 
20 different places or are most of them coming from a centralized chapter facility first? Does everybody need the same transportation method or do you have members with a disability that are going to need something different than what you're providing for others? And just thinking through all those different things. So we know there's a lot to think about, uh, but wanted to kind of do this overview of how coverage-wise the auto works on a sorority policy so you know why you even have that coverage, how it protects your sorority, um, and how we recommend using it safely. I think the understanding the why behind Mm -hmm. these policies is tremendously helpful in terms of being able to better communicate the the policies themselves. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to do. So as always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But we're going to end on a lighter note, as we usually do, sharing what we can't stop talking about lately. So why don't you go first, Allison? All right. So first thing that comes to mind for me, I feel like I'm a little late to the game on this, but maybe so is a lot of the world, is jumping in on the Ted Lasso show phenomenon. Oh, so good. Everything. Yes. And as a, as a concept, when the show is explained to me, I thought it kind of sounded like kind of a silly premise, to be honest, but I was convinced that it was a pretty heartfelt, feel good type of show that just kind of gives you the warm and fuzzies, whereas a lot of comedy can be kind of biting and harsh. And I, I like some of that, too. But this is a different kind of flavor of comedy. And I I very much appreciated it and got sucked in. <laughs> Yes. It sounds like you did too. We are <laughs> we are very sucked in. I will say we were early adopters because my husband loved the premise. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually, I don't really love, I like sports, but I don't love sports shows and movies. So I was just mm-hmm. kind of like, eh, but whatever. It came out like last summer, the first season, and we watched it all, like streamed it in a weekend and just loved it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had kind of forgotten so we watched we watched it twice the first season through and we have a nine and a 12 year old and we were like well we we think they could watch it like it's such good lessons we kind of forgot about some of the r-rated language and material so we were like we should watch it again we did not let them watch it but we were like we should just watch the first episode as like a reminder and we we made it like six minutes into the first episode and we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this is going to have, this is going to have to wait a few years to watch with the kids, which seems because it does have such good lessons about kindness and it does. empathy and stuff like that. But that's okay. They can wait until they're a little bit older to watch it. But it I, I do wonder if it would be as popular if it didn't, it's like the perfect timing for it you know like we're yeah, in this it, the first season came out yeah pandemic year and like just we we all needed something wholesome or somewhat yeah. wholesome to gather around kind of a palate cleanser a little bit yeah. of levity and our son our oldest plays soccer well they both play soccer but he's on a kind of intense travel team and it has been a little intense mm-hmm. and we just keep telling him be a goldfish be a goldfish mm-hmm. <laughs> See so, so many good, good little takeaways from the show. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, what about you, Sarah? What can't you stop talking about these days? I love our summer schedule. We drive, our kids go to a charter school and it's 30 minutes from our house, which I don't love, but I do love the school. But they started this week and I was sad that the summer was coming to an end and it's a little, you know, kind of lazier schedule. We don't have to get up as 
I mean, we get up very early uh, on school days and obviously in the summer, we don't have to do that. And we just have more time in the evening. However, as much as I like that, it, it's also been nice. They've been back for a week now. And, um, as much as I would like to be more spontaneous, all of our family does a little bit better on a schedule and with known expectations each day and things like that. So I, it's kind of a both and summer was fun and relaxing and it's nice to be getting into a little bit more of a routine too. Makes sense. Yeah. So back back to school and I, um, would be back to school with grad school yeah, so, you're already. so it's nice to not be going back right. to school for myself. But um, did you go, do you still go? I always just have to go buy some new pens in August. It's just a requirement. Oh yeah. School supply <laughs> type of stuff, office right. supplies. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is the time to restock all that stuff and yeah. just things reset, get things the way you want it before we head into fall. I think. Yeah. It feels really like cool. a second new year a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even if, even if you don't have kids or even if you don't teach or go to school, it just feels like a little bit of a fresh start, clean slate. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. As always, if you have any questions or suggestions, please reach out at realtalk at mjsorority.com. And we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us for Real Talk. We want to hear from you. If you have feedback, comments, or questions, send us an email at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Visit our website, mjsorority.com, to learn more about who we are, what we do, and explore our huge resource library. Check out the show notes from today's episode to dig a little deeper into the topics we discussed. This has been Real Talk with MJ Sorority. Be smart. Be safe. And we'll catch you next time.